Hey, and welcome to the Crosspoint Church Podcast. We are a church that is for the city in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. We are passionate about helping people become fully devoted followers of Jesus. So if you're just joining us for the first time, we would love for you to check out our website, thecrosspointchurch.ca. There you can find ways to connect with us and see what's happening at Crosspoint. Now, let's listen to this week's Sunday message. I want to start by reading from Psalm 27. It's not going to be on the screen. If you have Bibles, you can turn there. Uh, the reason I'm starting here is that <clears throat> this was my reading for the week. Psalm 27, every uh, part of the process of my devotional life is having a particular psalm that is, I approach every day and uh, read through it and think about it and so on. And uh, as I got to the end of the week, I realized that the psalm was really foundational in some ways or opening a door for what I'm preaching on. So I just want to capture a couple of verses, the first couple of verses of the psalm. Psalm 27, it says, The Lord is my light and my salvation, so why should I be afraid? The Lord is my fortress, protecting me from danger, so why should I tremble? When evil people come to devour me, when my enemies, my foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Though a mighty army surrounds me, my heart will not be afraid. One thing I ask of the Lord, the thing I seek most, is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, delighting in the Lord's perfection, meditating in his temple. I'm going to drop down to verse 7. It's part of what the songs were about this morning. <clears throat> the one about he called my name and I ran out of that grave. Hear me as I pray, O Lord. Be merciful and answer me. My heart has heard you say, come and talk with me. My heart responds, Lord, I am coming. <clears throat> We've been looking at the book of Peter, First Peter, this letter to the dispersion of Christians in some ways but it was to a specific group in Turkey, what we know as Turkey today. It was Asia Minor. There was a group of churches there, and uh, they were experiencing difficulties, challenges from the government, from the people around them. And so Peter, when he wrote his book, he wrote to them specifically, and he talked about them as being foreigners. And we've just sort of played off that idea and said foreigners in a broken world. Do you feel like that? Do you feel like the world is broken and you feel a little bit outside of what's happening around you? I hope that's the case because that's a good indicator that God is at work in you. He's shaping you. Here's a bit of an overview. Can you see that? It's pretty small up there. Well, it's small back there. How big is it back over here? Well, not bad. So if you've been around for this series, uh, you've uh, seen most of these things, but if you haven't been around for the series, I'd encourage you to go back over, uh, go to our uh, website. You can connect on YouTube where the sermons for the series are listed. Different of the staff have preached, and I got to say, I've been encouraged by every one of them. Amanda, when she started off with the first one, she talked about these verses from uh, chapter 1-1 being chosen people who are living as foreigners. She went on to talk about what it meant to be chosen. Then the following week, Delaney spoke. And she spoke about a hope that we have, a hope that is a living hope. It's an everlasting hope. A hope that is not of this world. And then we talked about the fact that we are called to be holy. And this idea of being holy is holy as God is holy. And we talked about how God is holy and the fact that he is the only one in this world that is set apart in a sense that, or in all of creation, that is set apart. He is exclusively holy. There's no one else like him. And yet we're called to be followers of him. And so we're called to be separate from this world. We're called to be whole and pure. That's the work of sanctification that the Holy Spirit does in each of us when we become followers of Jesus. And then we're called to be committed, set apart, to fully engage in the gospel. 
And then the last couple Sundays, uh, I got to tell you, I was moved by both uh, what uh, Micah had to preach on when he talked about suffering for righteousness sake. What a powerful presentation that was. And then last week when Brendan spoke and talked about, in a sense, the new lifestyle, the lifestyle of the kingdom, you got to go back and review them. Because these are key elements of who we are. So, I took a couple of quotes from Brendan from last week that I liked. We are called to be a community that lives in the present in the light of the future. You see, you have to take what Delaney said back a couple weeks ago, probably a month ago, and marry it to this idea of who we are today and recognize that who we are today is really founded in who we are moving towards or what we're moving towards, the kingdom of God. The life of Jesus points to the worship of the Father, points us to the goodness of God. Do you recognize that? In this passage that we'll be looking at, it talks about the glory of God. Do you realize that the glory of God is revealed to us in his goodness? You have this Old Testament passage, this is Exodus chapter 33. And in this passage, it's Moses up on the mountain. And he's encountered in God. And he makes this request. He says, God, I want to see you. I want to know you. I want to see you. God says, I am so holy, you cannot stand to see me. But I'm going to take and I'm going to put you in this crack in the rock. I'm going to cover it. And I'm going to walk by you. And you can see the back of my glory. You know what the passage actually says? I'm going to go pie you and you're going to see all my goodness. The glory of God is related to his goodness. And yes, there is this thing in scripture. It talks about the Shekinah glory. It's so bright you can't stand it. That is one expression, but that is not the key expression. The key expression is, is that his goodness reveals his glory. And that's what we're about. We're about people who live in the present with an eye on the future. We, we're growing into what God has called us to be. And part of that is taking the goodness that we have experienced, that we know personally, and making it known to the world around us. Got to figure out how to do this more effectively. So here's a quote from someone famous. Well, not so famous. He's standing in front of you. One of the most difficult transitions that any Christian has to make is letting go of his or her identification with the culture in which he or she grew up and fully identify with the culture of the kingdom of God as represented by Jesus. Did you catch that? What we're talking about today is the transition that we have from this world and the culture we grew up in to the kingdom of God, that culture. Those of you who have come here as immigrants to our to Canada, well, you know what that struggle's like, right? You grew up in a particular culture, and you come and you're plunked down into a new culture. And what does that mean? It means learning new ways of doing things. Yes, there's good things that come from our culture. And I got to say, there's good things that are come from the Canadian culture. Feels like less and less some days. But the reality is, is that all humanity has been created in the image of God. And we all carry something of the goodness of God in us. And so when we come together in a Canadian context or any other context, some of that goodness does show up, show up in the culture. So our cultures are not totally wrong. But the kingdom of God, that culture, is totally right. And that's what we're pursuing. We're pursuing engaging and knowing what God expects and longs for us. So 1 Peter chapter 4, we're starting at verse 12 today. 
This is from the New Living Translation. Some of my thoughts are really shaped by this translation. If you're reading it in a different translation, some of the words are not going to be there in the same way, but you'll catch the drift of it. Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through. For these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering. So that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it's revealed to all the world. Interesting, isn't it? There's that idea of glory being revealed. What's it talking about? It's talking about us being in partnership. You see, the review I went you through is about the fact that you're chosen, that there's a hope that God has established before you. There's a calling in terms of being holy even as he is holy. These are all things that are established, and we suffer for righteousness' sake. That's what this verse is based on. But it is also rooted in the fact that we have embraced a new lifestyle. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. How do we live our lives? Will we live our lives in a way that pleases God, but also challenges the way the world thinks? We live our lives in such a way that there are going to be times where we are going counter to the culture. The unfortunate part is sometimes the culture has led us to places before we allowed the Spirit to lead us. There's issues around, well, we'll take historic things, but there's issues such as slavery in the past where the church was very solidly believing that slavery was allowed in Scripture, and the world around started to point to that, poke at that. And yes, there were some fine Christian men and women who took up that cause. And it took a long time for the church to adjust. In our present day, there was a, an issue around women and men in terms of equality. What does it mean for them to be equal? And we've been living with that sort of question for a long time, haven't we, in our culture? And some of that was initiated by people that are outside of faith. It's the goodness of God in his image in them that awakened that. But we should be leading the way. We should be allowing the love of God working in us and through us for the culture around us to challenge it. You see, this is where we run into the difficulties, the challenges in our lives. When we live our lives as prophetic voices of what the kingdom of God really looks like, when we live our lives in a way that calls the world to see itself against the reality of what it means to be followers of Christ. So we are foreigners in a broken world, but this verse also talks about the fact that we are partners with God. And that partnership is the very thing that needs to motivate us. As we are singing the songs today, I have a hard time remembering the lyrics. I enjoyed all the songs because all the songs in some way spoke to what I was going to speak on this morning. And they challenged me. There was one of the songs that we were singing, and it was all personal. It was me. I had to change me. or I had to, It was me that was being motivated. But as I was singing it, I realized that it was really about us. Do those songs, did the songs this morning, were they prayers for you? You know what? If they weren't prayers, you're missing out. Because that's what the team up here was leading us to. They were leading us into the presence of God. And being led into the presence of God is a place where we allow what is being sung to start to shape us and to mold us. And as that happens, we start to be what starts to be revealed to us is new ways of engaging with God, speaking with him or hearing from him, allowing him to work through us as a group. You have this uh, phrase that uh, you end every service with, or we end every service with. You are the people of God called by God into his redemptive mission in the world. 
So be who you are. Do you realize it's talking about partnership? That God has called you into partnership with him? He's called you to be a part of his mission. And that means that you understand what the mission is. You've experienced it working out in your life. You've experienced the work of the Spirit in such a way that you behave or act in a different way. I got to tell you that there's a verse in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, right at the end of the chapter. It's not on the slide, so you're going to have to write down the notes so you can look at it later. But 1 Thessalonians 5, starting at verse 23, it's 23 and 24. It talks about the sanctifying work of God. He sanctifies us fully, spirit, soul, and body. And you know what he says next? And God is at work in you to willing to do his good pleasure. Well, I probably mixed those verses up. But the idea is, is God that is at work in us. And it is that work of the Holy Spirit that shapes us and molds us, that gives us the platform, the foundation, on which we can talk to our neighbors about how God is at work. When you experience the life-changing encounter with God by his Holy Spirit, God has given you a platform of experience to talk to the people around you. It isn't a theoretical faith that we have. It's a faith that is living and active. It penetrates to the very core of who we are. Does this sound like a verse from Hebrews about the word of God being active in our eye, like a sharp two-edged sword? Your experience is that sword that can penetrate another person's life. In our world, we have a lot of relative truth. One of the things our world believes in is that your story is your truth. It's a way of denying that they have to listen, right? But do you want to know something? When you speak your truth, the Spirit of God empowers it. And it penetrates to the very core of who they are, meeting a need that they didn't know they had. And that is the work of God, taking your truth and exposing it in such a way that the world responds to it. This passage talks about, in 1 Peter, it does talk about the fact that we suffer, suffer because we're in partnership with God. Uh, Colossians chapter 1, verse 24 says it this way. I am glad when I suffer for you in my body, for I am participating in the sufferings of Christ that continue for his body, the church. You see, one of the things that, one of the other translations says it this way, Paul was saying, I suffer and fill up the sufferings of Christ, make complete the sufferings of Christ. And that's been a difficult translation because people said, well, Christ's suffering was absolute. It was complete. There was nothing to be added to it. But what Paul was really saying, and this verse translation actually captures it, it's this idea that as we live our lives, as we pursue the kingdom of God, as we pursue people's lives, speaking to them the truth, we will experience suffering. People will reject us. They'll hold us at arm's length. They might even push us away. I can remember at a certain point in my ministry, someone said to me, you know what, when you're talking with people, you can ask a simple question, can I pray for you? If you're listening to them and you're hearing their lives and what's happening in their lives and you hear ashes, in other words, a place of hurt, a place where... Uh, they're struggling with something maybe. And if you can ask the question, can I pray for you? It opens a door. If they say yes, then you can pray that God's peace and love would be on them. And the minute they say yes, they're giving you authority to release the love of God into their lives. But you want to know something? I've had people say no. 
Sometimes it was just a gentle no. Sometimes it was a little bit more forceful. Because they're not open to that. But that is a very simple way for us as Christians to step into things. Because what kind of ashes do you listen for? The ashes that you can identify with. There are sometimes somebody tells you a story and you go, don't have a clue how to respond to that. But there are other times where God has you listening and all of a sudden you hear something that you have experienced yourself. And God has met you in that. And then you can say, can I pray for you? And out of your personal experience, you can pour out the heart of God for them. Because you've experienced it. You know what it means. And it opens up the door. On Sunday mornings, <clears throat> in the old days. Now I wait to get to church to get my coffee. But in the old days, I'd go to the church early to get ready for the service. And we had a service station next door that made reasonable coffee. So I went next door and we'd get a coffee. And one morning, Sunday morning, I walk in and I get my coffee from the stand over there. I go up to pay for it. And the woman at the till asked me, uh, she says, I see you in here on Sunday mornings. Are you from the church next door kind of thing? I go, yep, that's me. I preach over there. And so I asked her a question. I says, so tell me, do you have a faith background? And she goes, I used to. I says, used to? What does that mean? And she talked about the fact that she had a child that committed suicide. And her and her family went to church. And they sat in the front row. And nobody spoke to them. Nobody met them. And so they used to have a faith. And so I just said, can I pray for you? And she looked around and I said, it's all right, I'll be quick. <laughs> Didn't want to embarrass her on a Sunday morning. And so I prayed for her. And then I said, we happen to have a Saturday night service. I know that you can't come Sunday morning because you work here. But we have a Saturday night service and you can come around on Saturday night. Long and the short of it, that began a journey for her. I can remember her coming a couple Sundays and, or Saturday nights, and then she disappeared. I walked into a bank one day to get something, and there she was as a teller. So I talked to her, and I said, how are you doing? She says, I'm doing really well. I live out in Anzac now, and I'm going to the little Baptist church out there, and I'm in a Bible study, and I hear the work of God. See, that's partnership with God. It's being curious enough about the people around you to listen. But it's not just listening. It's willing to, when you hear those ashes, those hard things in people's lives, to take insensitively. We've had a couple verses earlier in Peter talk about this. Being sensitive to the moment, but stepping in and saying, can I pray for you? Or can we get together for a coffee? Or whatever it is that allows you to engage with them and move that conversation forward. Because we are called to be partners. So verse 14. So be happy when you are insulted for being a Christian, for then the glorious Spirit of God rests upon you. I put the NIV up there also because I like it a little bit better. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. One of the things we need to realize is that there are going to be times where we step out and people push back. People are uncomfortable. We had a neighbor who we got to know a little bit, and she really held us at arm's length. Matter of fact, every time we tried to talk to her, it was, 
push away hard. Part of it was the fact that I think the Spirit of God was present. And I'm not sure she was ready to deal with that. Because we asked if we could pray for her, and she said no. And after we asked her that, it was a little bit of time before we could re-engage with her in conversation just because she was safe around us or kept us at arm's length. But it's going to happen. You're going to step out and people are going to react to you. Sometimes when you step out and you take a stand on something, they're going to react even harder. I have a, we have a friend of ours, his best friend, uh, was involved in a lifestyle that he didn't approve of. And this friend came to him and tried to argue for his lifestyle. And our friend said, no, I can't accept that. However, our friend faithfully reached out to him. Every birthday, he sent him a birthday card. He continued to engage with him. And I can remember going to a party that was being thrown at our friend's house, and there was the person that he had disagreed with. And you could see that they still had a relationship. We don't always have to agree with what other people think or say, but we do have to show love and concern and care for them. We don't write them off just because they disagree with us. We engage with them. We continue to pursue them. We want to walk alongside them. We want to be present for when things change for them. And if not, it never changes, that doesn't mean we stop loving them. It just means that we are faithful. We are called to be faithful. So verses 15 and 16. If you suffer, however, it must not be for murder, stealing, or making trouble. Do you have any problem with that one? I bet you have trouble with this last one. Or prying into other people's affairs. This is an interesting one. I looked at that and I go, wow, what does that really look like? So I looked up the Greek in it, and uh, it's pretty clear in the Greek. There's two words in the Greek that are combined to make a compound word that we would call a compound word that means something a little different. So the first part means uh, something that belongs to other people. And the second part means a bishop, you know, like one of those church leaders, bishop. You put the two words together and it means prying into other people's business or trying to control other people's business. Have any of you experienced someone trying to control your business? You don't have to show your hands. <laughs> the reality is, is that, yeah, we su you suffer. If you suffer for murder or stealing, well, you expect that. But how many of us really expect it when we're trying to, well, you know, when it's our kids. It doesn't matter how old their kids are, right? As parents, you want the best for them. Sometimes you try to guide them. That's our words. But we do sometimes put step over lines, don't we? I can remember one time. <clears throat> no, I'm not going to say that. <laughs> I started, I had a, a memory that just jumped to my head. And I was going to go down that road, and then I realized it wouldn't land really well. <laughs> but the reality is that we have those moments where we engage with our family, our friends, or whoever, where we think we have a perspective that is right. And so we step in and we try to give advice without really considering what the Lord might want. And sometimes the advice is good. And sometimes we are called to give it and then step back. But you know the problem is? Sometimes we give the advice and then we step farther in and stir it a little bit. And in those situations, if they react, if they push back, we probably deserve it. But passage goes a little farther then, right? But it is no shame to suffer for being a Christian. 
praise God for the privilege of being called by his name. Is your identity so rooted in your relationship with God that you have a confidence that you are speaking out of what you know him to be, his heart is? And that when you speak the truth because you love them, And you want them to know the grace and love of Christ. And they react. Are you confident enough to say, Lord, I put it in your hands? In other words, in partnership, there's parts that you do. And then there are parts that God does. Do you catch that? And there's a line where you can do your part. And then you need to step back. And say, Lord, it's your job to do your part. John chapter 4. It's not up there, by the way. John chapter 4 has this interesting, I think it's verse 44. And John chapter 4, shoot, I think it's chapter 6. 644, you check that one out. It goes like this. No one comes to me, Jesus speaking, no one comes to me unless the Father draws him. Some of you checking. Which chapter is it? Six. Six, Thank you. (laughs) Do you catch that? No one comes to Jesus unless the Father draws him. You cannot draw people to Jesus. You can only witness to his goodness. You can only speak of what he has done in your life. You can only take what scripture has taught you what you have inherited or what you've taken for yourself and share it out of your experience, and then you have to step back and let the Spirit of God have his way. You have this verse in Isaiah. I'm not even going to try to catch the passage now. You can look it up. But it says that I send out my word, and it does what it's called to do. Do you trust God to do what he's called to do, what he wants to do? Do you recognize what your part is and what his part is? This is partnership. Brenda and I have a partnership. At one point, it was really clear cut. I did everything outside the house. She did everything inside the house. And then we figured out that, no, it's more about our giftings. So there are certain things in our world that she does because she's really good at it and there are other things that I do because I'm adequate (laughs) but the reality is there's a partnership right we have figured out a way to live together in partnership and when I cross over and do some of her stuff like when I make the bed she can correct it But the reality is, is that there are things that I am good at. And when she steps into those areas, then I can correct or we can have a conversation about these things. The same as in our relationship with God. But we need to figure out what is our part and what is his part. And as we do that, it opens up possibilities in so many ways. Now comes the hard verse. Middle of this passage, verse 17. For the time has come for judgment, and it must begin with God's household. And if judgment begins with us, what terrible fate awaits those who have never obeyed God's good news? We don't like this word judgment, do we? What does it mean for judgment to start at a household of God? Why does it start there first? I'll tell you why it starts there first. Because you chose to be there. You chose to submit yourself to the heart of God. You chose to submit yourself to the will of God. You chose to put yourself in a place where God could be at work in you. That's why it starts with us. We've given him permission. We've invited him to be at work in us. We've invited him to shape us. And in doing so, we put ourselves in line to be evaluated. One uh, commentator I was reading said, judgment in this case is not about punishment. It's 
It's about discipline, correction, direction. That might be true, I'm not quite sure about that, because the word judgment is about decision. God makes a decision. The judgment of God, the decisions of God, starts amongst us. Thank God for Jesus Christ, who saves us from all sin, who cleanses us from all sin, who is our righteousness. Because without that, where would we be? David, I can't remember what psalm it is, but uh, a couple weeks ago I was reading, I think Psalm 66 talks about the fact that he said, if it wasn't for God's grace, I'd be nothing. But it is that reality that God does make a decision. This morning in prayer, before the service, someone mentioned Psalm 97. And it talks about the foundation of God is righteousness and justice. And if that was all, I'd be nervous. But because of Jesus Christ, I also know that there is love and mercy. So the question that follows then, and if judgment begins with us, what terrible fate awaits those who have never experienced that? We listened to an old hymn this morning at prayer time. You've got to come to prayer time. There's some really good stuff that happens there. This is an old hymn. How old was that? 200 years old, did you say, Christine? And it talks about praying for those who are on the brink of hell. In one of the prophets, it says, talks about the fact that there's this highway and there are people walking over the cliff. How terrible it is for those who have never heard, right? This is a verse that's about motivation. It's about keeping perspective. You see, we live in a culture that everybody can go their own way. And you don't want to disturb people in their way. Remember I made that comment earlier? There's nothing harder for a Christian than to let go of the culture they grew up in, to embrace a culture that God is calling you to. The Canadian culture is a very inviting culture for the most part. We have our flaws, right? The Canadian culture is a culture that says, it's your business, not my business. We have all kinds of things that make us very accepting. We're very good at saying sorry. We're very good at keeping things safe. But is that the way of God? The way of God is rooted in love. And that love takes and recognizes those who are going to their own destruction. And we're not satisfied to let them go there. God is calling us to live this life today, understanding who we are to become. To step out and be the people of God who are called by God into his redemptive mission in this world. I think I'm just going to print these pages. have big sheets up here for myself. Now I've lost it. Okay, let's go to the next slide. There we go. These are two verses. One's from Galatians chapter 1. I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. How does that sit with you? This is a temptation, isn't it? To live our lives to please the people around us, not to offend them. The second verse there from 2 Timothy, for God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. This is what we have. 
if we allow the Spirit of God to work in us, we have this sense of power, of love, and self-discipline. You could put them around in the other order. You could run it backwards. We have the spirit of self-discipline, which allows us to reside in the presence of God through spiritual disciplines. That means reading, praying, living in community, serving the poor, all of these disciplines that God calls us to that in a sense become the avenues through which the Spirit reveals himself to us. But not only that, but love. So our self-discipline then is motivated by love because as we engage with God, he starts to show us the world around us. He starts to show us where he is at work. And seeing where he is at work, he asks us to engage there but only if we can love in that context. And when you have that sense of God speaking, you have that sense of God's purpose in your heart for whoever you're ministering to, power shows up. The Spirit of God reveals himself. The Spirit of God empowers you with a sense of a gift that you can apply. You see, the spiritual gifts that are given by the Holy Spirit are tools they're simply tools by which God awakens someone's heart to his reality. The spiritual gifts have a very short shelf life. I can remember a young man that we met. <clears throat> he had a problem with one leg was quite a bit shorter than the other. And it was causing him significant problems in his body. So his parents took him to a, a conference where there was healing. And he goes to the conference. And he goes in. And God worked and healed him. His parents were so excited. And they came back to their room. And they were excited that he had been healed. And the young guy was angry. <laughs> I remember dad saying, why, son? Why are you angry? Because now I owe God something. See, miracles don't always end up the way they should or the way we expect them to. We had another circumstance where a number of people in our congregation had words of knowledge for this woman who was barren. And they said, you're going to have a child. And sure enough, in the time frame that was designated in the prophetic words, that woman did have a child. So we got together with her probably five years later, six years later, and Brenda asked her a question. So tell me, how does it feel to have a child that is a miracle, a gift from God? You know what she said? Normal has taken over. I don't think of it that way. Miracles don't last forever. They have a momentary impact that you have to either embrace or push away. A young man pushed it away and had bitternesses in heart. I don't know where he's at this today. I know that his parents would continue to pray for him, and I pray that God has brought him into a personal relationship. On the other side, miracles can happen, and you can embrace them, but because of the normal of life, you lose perspective of what it is. What makes the difference? your engagement in your relationship with a Heavenly Father. You see, if you're self-disciplined and you're pursuing a relationship with God and you're listening to Him and you're hearing what He's wanting and then He shows you something to do in relationship to the people around you and you step into that moment and you start serving them, you start ministering to them, God will show up in power to penetrate the hardness of their heart in the area that they need it. And in that moment, they have a decision to make whether they're going to embrace God or push him away. But it's not your job to pursue him. To convince them. It's your job to just love them and be present. Step back and make space for the Spirit of God to work. Once you have done what God has called you to do, just be present and watch for God's working. Let's go to the next slide. 
Is there a next slide? Oh, it doesn't look like it. Got lost. Yeah. So what I'm saying this morning, the book of Peter is about suffering. It's suffering for righteousness' sake. It's talking about the fact that God has called us and he's built a foundation around us. That foundation is the very thing from which we step out and serve him. This community of faith is part of that foundation. It's your relationships with each other that allow you to have confidence that as you step out, there is somebody alongside you besides the Lord, of course. The Lord's always with us, right? But the community of faith is a significant part of the gospel. It's what makes the gospel real. Two commandments or two statements of Jesus. John chapter 14, verses 34, 35 says this. A new commandment I give you, that you love each other. By this will all men know that you're my disciples. What is that saying? Your relationship with each other is primary. It's foundational to the gospel that we speak. It's not a personal thing. It's a communal thing. Brendan's words last Sunday gave a frame to what it meant to be the community of God, a kingdom community. The day I recognized that the community of faith was important for my faith, my witness, was when I realized that what the church really represented is what the kingdom of God was like. And when we are living like the kingdom of God, we are very attractive to the world around us. Because what God calls us to is so uniquely different than what the world gives. The second verse is from John chapter 17. It's the prayer, the Lord's Prayer. Not the one we chant or pray together. But it's the prayer of Jesus for his disciples. And he says down along verse 20, 21. Lord, I pray that they might be one even as we are one. That the world might know that you sent me and that I love them. Loving one another and being united in purpose are what frame us as the body of Christ. But it is also what makes us highly appealing to the world around us. So the question that you have to ask yourself is this. Do you want to be a partner with God in his mission? That's what First Peter is about. First to last, it's about how we engage with the world around us that is broken. We use that phrase in the title because we all sort of view these last couple of years as very turbulent. But I've got to tell you, before the last couple of years, the world was still broken. It's been broken from the very beginning. From the minute sin entered in the world, in the garden, the world's been broken. So don't get caught up with the last four years or three years or whatever it is. Our world is broken because they do not know Jesus Christ. And he is calling us to be partners in the mission. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for your desire to see this world redeemed. Your desire to see your will be done here on earth, even as it is in heaven. And so, Lord, I pray that we, as your people, would embrace your mission. And the result would be, Lord, that we would be pursuing people to let them know who you are and how good you are. So that the seeds can be planted for your spirit to water and make alive in their lives. Lord, you know who are on our hearts. This morning, Lord, we invite you to draw them. We invite you to speak into their lives. But I pray, Lord, that you would show us how to reveal your heart to them. Show us, Lord, how we can minister to them 
that would open up a door for you to do your work. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So please stand. And let me remind you of who you are. You can take whatever posture you want in terms of receiving. You are the people of God. You are called by God into his redemptive purpose in this world. So go and be who you are. And as uh, has often said, open up the circle. Invite other people into your into relationship with you so that God can work through you, ministering to them. Allow him to lead you. So go in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Father who built a great plan, Jesus who showed us the impact of following that plan, and the Holy Spirit who empowers you to live in that plan. Go in his name. Amen. Hey, and welcome back. Thanks for listening to this Sunday's message. We hope that we've helped you in your spiritual journey and that you're drawing closer to God. At Crosspoint, we gather on Sundays at 10 a.m. in Northeast Edmonton and throughout the week in something we love to call home groups. Home groups are encouraging and transformational communities for people just like you. We believe that the journey of faith is done together. So we hope that you'll connect with us at thecrosspointchurch.ca. Now, let me remind you of who you are. You are the people of God, called by God into his redemptive mission in the world. So be who you are.